Sometimes the most memorable stories we carry with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. And sometimes after our time in the service, we're lucky enough to find careers not too dissimilar to that with missions and with common cause for us to rally around. When we're lucky like that, we can continue to share stories of our shared history and experience and support one another through a bond that goes beyond the workplace. Jones Lang LaSalle and JLL's VetNet Business Resource Group brings you the MidWatch podcast in an effort to tell those stories and share that experience and build connections across generations of veterans at JLL and our broader community. And now the host, of the Midwatch Podcast, Dan Ettinger. Hey, everybody. Once again, this is Dan Ettinger with the Midwatch Podcast. We're up to episode number four. Yet another fantastic guest that we're about to bring on to the uh, on the show here in just one second. Um, but before we get started, I can't tell you how how happy I am. Uh, with some of the feedback that I've gotten, some people who are enjoying the show. That's fantastic. That's all I wanted to hear is people who would make some connections and and get a kick out of the kind of stuff we're talking about. So please keep listening, pass it around to anybody that you'd like to, and we'll see where this community grows. And without further ado, our guests for episode four, and I think you're really going to get a kick out of this. It took me a little while to work on the name I went through a couple iterations. I think I'm comfortable with it now. Uh, welcome to the show, Jared Tomaszewski. Welcome to the Midwatch Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to be on and be able to uh, speak with everyone. Really interested to hear hear your story. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording. I'm staring at your LinkedIn profile. There's an Easter egg on your LinkedIn profile that if you don't say it, I'm going to say it. So we'll see where this conversation goes. As we, as we get started here, tell the audience here a little bit about where you're, where you're at, where you're from, uh, what your hobbies are, if you have a, a family or some significant others. Tell us kind of what uh, keeps you busy right now besides being quarantined. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'll say uh, right now, uh, this looking out my window here in Chicago, Illinois, uh, under quarantine. But no, I can give you a little bit about myself and how it all has kind of started. So um, I'm from Chicago, Illinois, originally. I joined the military when I was 18 years old. I went off to the Air Force Academy for four years to get my degree in civil engineering and my commission as a civil engineering officer. And so so some of the things I like to do in my free time I'll say definitely uh, be outdoors. I love uh, to stay active. So any any type of sports. I know uh, I joined a softball league, a kickball league, and even a bowling league here in the winter um, <laughs> at my last assignment when I was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And uh, here, I'll say I've been in Chicago since uh, last June. So I've been enjoying the nice summer weather uh, in the wintertime, you know, is watching sports on TV. I'm a huge Chicago sports buff. So uh, huge on the Hawks, the Bulls, and the Cubbies. And you know what? Uh, maybe one day the Bears will be doing well too, you know? But we'll see. <laughs> the Easter egg is not the kickball. I have to go back to the kickball. 
you're in a kickball league, correct? Yeah, uh, I was back in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> what what position did you play? <laughs> uh, it was a uh, it was a little uh, beer league that we had, and so I think uh, everybody got to kick, but I was more or less in uh, in the shortstop position. So that was where the majority of people would uh, kind of kick the ball to, and I'm six foot three, so I was able to kind of get that extra jump in height and pass the ball off to everyone else. So height actually did help there. That's awesome. And would and all of the kickball players that you've seen in your kickball career, would you say that you're you know average, above average, superior? Where would you rate yourself? I'm extraordinarily average. I will not lie. <laughs> no, nothing stand out about me, but you know what? It was a nice little fun thing to do to get out of the house, get some fresh air, and yeah, to kind of meet some new people. And there were, you say there were so, oftentimes some refreshments served during the game. Is that true? Yeah, that was a, uh, during the game, everybody bring their own little cooler, and then you go play some uh, games afterwards at uh, a local watering hole that, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that all the other teams kind of joined in, too. That sounds incredible. Now, I'll be darned. The next question is supposed to be, tell us something we'd never guess about you. I must admit, you may have partially filled that with your, your kickball, but there's something else that I saw on your LinkedIn profile. You don't have to guess that. But tell us, before we get into more of a discussion about your military career, something that no one would guess about you. So, uh, Dan, I believe what you're hinting to, at, and no one would ever probably believe upon meeting me in first appearance. So, uh, I was actually a gymnast back in college. Yes. So, the fun fact... <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so the fun fact about me is I was the tallest gymnast in the NCAA gymnastics for, for Oh, my men. God. <laughs> the tallest gymnast in the NCAA? Yeah, so at, at six foot three, but uh, I actually got to use my height to my advantage. I was a high bar specialist. So, oh. uh, and then I'll say all my other teammates, let's say their heads literally came up to my chest and I was uh, ahead above all the other competition. And when I would compete the high bar, I literally had to raise the bar so <laughs> my feet would, would not hit the ground when I was swinging through. So I um, loved it. It was my entire life for me kind of through high school and at, at the Air Force Academy. And I was able to continue my uh, gymnastics career and involvement. So uh, upon all my duty assignments in the Air Force, I was able to coach at local gyms and actually give back to the sport that I love. That's fantastic. I can only imagine that the, when, when the high bar folks get to going around, like getting build up speed, especially right before they dismount, I can only imagine the speed momentum you built up <laughs> being six foot three. It was probably incredible, right? Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, my body still hurts to this day because of that, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would say I think I have a body of a 80 year old and I'm turning 30 this month. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still recovering. But yeah, it's, it's from the amount of speed from the flips and the twists that you would go through in the air and for all the landings. And I mean, that's just high bar. But I mean, yeah. I actually, I worked out all the other five events six in total but yeah i love the sport it's crazy and it's a it's a shame that the the, the covid situation around the world uh, had to postpone the olympic 
the Olympics one more year until 2021 yeah. is I'm just thinking about all the athletes that had been timing and getting their routines and events prepped for this coming summer. But next year should be a really fun year for everyone, uh, for all those sports and athletes. Yeah. I mean, on, on that note, as miserable as this whole quarantine thing is, I cannot believe once we get through the actual issue and start opening back up, what people are going to feel like in the feeling in the air when people are like, it's time to go outside. You know, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be the summer. People have been pent up for however long, and it's going to be this giant nation and worldwide exhale, right? It's going to be unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And I I, I actually kind of feel a, a sense of relief because from my deployment, and I know a lot of our military members listening, is when you're on base lockdown or when yeah. you actually are in your deployment, I mean, like you're, you're stuck on base in whatever area that you're in. I was in Afghanistan, but I know when I came back home for my two weeks of R&R, I mean, I was, I was rearing and ready to go. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm excited that everyone else gets to kind of have the same feeling of <laughs> once we're off of uh, nationwide or state lockdown or whatever the situation that they're going in uh, currently in the part of the world that they're listening that, uh, yeah, we all got to kind of experience uh, the kind of this, the rebirth of going outside and yeah. interacting with people again. Yeah. So that should be exciting for everyone. It will. And maybe, maybe sometime we can have an extra podcast just all about gymnastics because I have countless questions right now. The last one I'll ask about the gymnastics though is again in the high bars cause you're a high bar specialist. Doesn't it hurt like when you're whipping around and you do that thing where they like chain, they meaning you change direction where you're like you, your legs go up under the bar in front of you and then you whip around backwards. Does that hurt? Yes. All that hurts. Uh, I would say, um, for one, I would say just through the years, you're, you're squeezing your body so, so tight for all your muscles that, that for how you're going to maneuver and change direction and, and actually do the twist and the flips, even though you're still on the bar. Yeah. Uh, the thing that hurts the most for high bar that I can speak to is your hands, your hands are on fire the entire time. Oh, so for, I know we all get calluses when you uh, do manual labor, you're out doing it in the, in the yard or you go to the gym and you're picking up weights or things like that. But on the high bar, we actually wear the little, it's called, they're called grips. It's about maybe uh, an eighth of an inch thick, a piece of leather that goes over your first three fingers on your hand to kind of give you some protection so you don't peel off the bar. But your actual palm itself and all your fingers, man, I can tell you, I can send everybody uh, photos of, of my hands and that would be, that need to probably be censored of uh, <laughs> this, the, the goriness. But yes, the most painful thing would be the actual hands themselves because all those calluses that build up over time, they get yeah. literally ripped off. And uh, it's, it's, I used to take a lighter to my hands and I wouldn't feel it. That's how thick oh my, my skin on my, on my palm was. So yeah, pretty crazy stuff. And uh, I'll, I'll do this offline. I'm going to send you a note and see where I can get one of those outfits that you guys wear. Cause that looks really comfy, like comfy pajamas. Oh, oh so comfy. Yeah. <laughs> our little leotards. Absolutely. Our, our competition uniforms. Oh my gosh. It sounds incredible. <laughs> so Thank you for sharing. That was fantastic. Let's get warmed up though on the on the on the military side and some story side here. Give me kind of a 
whatever, a three or a four minute kind of a encapsulation of your career, kind of how you how you got into the military, what you did. I know you went to the Air Force Academy, so that might be an interesting thing to talk about for a minute or so, but then kind of your assignments and where all you've been around the world. And then we'll get into a couple of stories that mean something to you about service. Yeah, perfect. So I graduated from the Air Force Academy in 2012, where I was commissioned as a civil engineering officer. And I actually decided to go to the Air Force Academy. My two older brothers also went there as well. And so when I was in high school, uh, my parents were actually pushing me towards to join the Air Force Academy. And as a bright young high schooler, I rebelled like, like everyone else in their teenage years. And I did everything to fight and say, no, I don't want to go there. And I, I was actually set up on scholarship to go to the Milwaukee School of, of Engineering, to Marquette, as well as the University of Illinois down in uh, Champaign-Urbana. I had uh, ROTC scholarships. And so finally, I kind of caved in because uh, I, I got to see my brothers were jumping out of airplanes, traveling the world, learning new languages. And I'm like, you know what? I also get to keep going with my gymnastics career in college if I decide upon the Air Force Academy. So I did that for four years and that I could go on for years of stories in itself of uh, all the fun there. So if anyone has any questions about applying to uh, a service academy, whether Air Force, Annapolis or West Point or even a Coast Guard uh, or even the Merchant Marine, please uh, contact me on LinkedIn. I would love to tell anybody more about it if you have uh, kids, friends, or loved ones or anybody that are looking to apply. But from there, uh, upon my graduation, I was stationed for my first assignment at Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam in Hawaii. So this good old Chicago boy got to finally free the coldness of Chicago and Colorado and had the bright Hawaiian sunshine for my first three years of active duty. And when I was out there, I was a public works officer on the base, as well as a construction manager on the Air Force and the Navy side of the house. So I was overseeing all the construction projects, as well as uh, future planning of, the, of both installations for the joint base for my first three years. And that was absolutely amazing. And then from here, I actually applied to my next position, where I would be an instructor at the Air Force Institute of Technology at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And then with this, there was a little caveat that you got to go to a civilian graduate school of your choosing for, for one year to a year and a half. And so I was like, hey, I get to do a free master's degree with my Air Force service. And then I also get to do a teaching job and actually kind of give back and mentor other civil engineers in the Air Force, as well as all the other services. And I'm like, hell yeah, that would be yeah. great. So awesome. yeah, I actually applied and I got turned down. I'm like, damn. And then uh, kind of fast forward a few months trying to figure out what I was gonna do. And then uh, they finally came back, they had a slot opened up and I was accepted into that position. And so following my three years out at uh, Hickam Air Force Base and Pearl Harbor, I went to graduate school where I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, so not too far from home, about two hours south of Chicago, versus a whole ocean away out in the middle of the Pacific. So uh, my parents were pretty happy. And uh, I studied uh, architecture there for 12 months. And then following that, I went and uh, 
proceeded to be an instructor at the Air Force Institute of Technology for architecture and uh, urban planning. So I did that for my last three years of active duty. And then following that, transitioned out of the Air Force this past August and joined, uh, joined Lang LaSalle. So that's my entire career right there. Outstanding story. I was thinking when you first started there about going from the Air Force Academy to what was the post called out at uh, Pearl Harbor and Hickam? What was that post called? So that was uh, the Joint Base Pearl Harbor-Hickam. So we had the Navy base as well as the Air Force base down there. What was your job again there? What was that role called? So I was a assistant public works officer or an APWO for the, the Pearl Harbor side. The, the reason why I bring that up is that that illustrates what I think a lot of folks who have a military background experience, which is you were 23, 24 years old, right? Something yeah. like that? Yep. And, and all of a sudden, and you, you said it was your words when you say you came out and you were in charge of, you know, a bunch of projects, or I forget how you put it exactly, but you had a bunch of projects as the APWO, and you're like 23 or 24 years old running these significant things, you know, and I can, I can imagine just being that young again, and you have all this responsibility. Did that jump out at you at the time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think in my... Once I got there, I got there in July of 2012, and after getting in-processed, I'll say in August of 2012, I got my first $10 million dormitory repair project, and coming from straight out of college, I had this, and then I had a couple other million dollars of projects I was responsible as a construction manager, and just looking at all my other peers and colleagues from uh, the civilian side of the house, like I was years ahead of them when it comes to leadership and responsibility. Yeah. And as well as I'm on a historic air force and Navy base. And I just kind of seen that uh, responsibility that we put on our junior officers. I, it was the, probably one of the biggest privileges of my entire life at such a young age, having that much responsibility and having that much impact when it comes to construction projects, that you actually get to see the fruits of your labor. And it, it was amazing. I can imagine. I can imagine. I put myself in your shoes because I, I kind of lived at being young and doing, you know, cool stuff. But um, so excellent summary uh, of a career, which directly leads us into kind of the meat of this podcast, which is I'm interested in hearing the things about your military service that you're going to remember for the rest of your life, the kind of stuff that when you have kids and grandkids and maybe it's 20 years down the road or whatever and they bring up and they say hey i see uh i see this uh this bu these bunch of coins on your desk here i see this picture of you when you were you know, 20 23 years old and uh, at hickam air force base or uh, at pearl harbor what was that all about what was your service and you tell them the story the thing that really sticks with you and it sounds like you might have a, a couple of those kind of stories so Please share with us a couple of stories or a few stories about the things that mean the most to you about your military service. Yeah, I think I got three quick ones for you that I can detail for everyone. And I'll probably say what if I were ever to get uh, a family member around or a loved one or whoever, I would I would probably want to speak to my deployment in Afghanistan back in 2017 to 2018. So I was there for six months. I was stationed at, in Kabul, Afghanistan at the uh, Camp Resolute Support, which is the, the headquarter base over there. 
and I was a program manager for the electrical infrastructure for the entire country of Afghanistan. So during my, my time there, I was overseeing about 200 projects dealing with the setup and construction of the electrical lines along with the power substations around the country so in efforts to transition the country from basically diesel power generators to an actual electrical grid that we have in more first world countries as the United States. And this, that impact of what I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis as a program manager with a whole bunch of other project managers underneath me and working with the Afghans on a day-to-day -day basis, I'll say that was probably the number one story, probably even though know, my entire life so far, of this being able to travel around in helicopters and planes around Afghanistan, going to project sites, and then dealing with local nationals and the Afghans, as well as our all the other services and our NATO partners over there. It was just absolutely, for me, mind-blowing. It was incredible. Was it the same kind of a thing where you're and, you know, you have responsibility for this big chunk of really important stuff. And you're kind of like, hey, this is actually me doing this. I'm the one in, I'm the one actually doing this. And I'm here, here in Afghanistan and making this happen. Is that the, the thing that jumps out at you? Oh, yeah. Like I was, I was the man that, uh, that was responsible. I was giving briefings up into the uh, two and four star generals that were, that were out there. And uh, along with me and the rest of uh, my engineering team that, that was there for, I was stationed with, or for our team, I had a uh, army, Navy and air force, as well as uh, one Marine who was a part of the, it was called CJ engineering. So combined joint engineering. And we were part of the, the headquarters function over there for all the engineering mm -hmm. efforts going on within the country. And I was doing all the electrical infrastructure. So I was point lead for that. And I was, yeah, just kind of seeing that, oh yeah, I wasn't kind of a part something bigger, but for when, it, when it came to responsibility efforts, I was, I was very humbling for me knowing that our, all these ongoing projects was the result of the fruits of my long nights and labor and phone calls and coordination with back in the States and also just cross, uh, cross country. It was very, very cool. I definitely hear you. And that, that, that makes sense to me. You have a, you said you had a couple more. Let's hear. Oh yeah. I'll probably say uh, my, my second one would go back to my first assignment when I was at Pearl Harbor and I was just being the public works officer. And I think just the, the impact of me being in charge of the Pearl Harbor base when it comes to anything construction related or public works. So talk about future planning, or we have a, a general wanting to get their office painted, they, or you know what, uh, the, the grass isn't cut over here, or if there's a water water main break and we need to get repair functions out there. So anything to kind of do with daily operations and maintenance to construction, to future planning, me and my team were responsible for. And yeah, yet, yet again, I was a, a young first lieutenant in the, in the Air Force working on a Navy base. So also kind of seeing that that joint responsibility of working yeah. with our sister branches that I think I was very, very fortunate to be a part of because for other, let's say junior officers, usually you're just on a Navy base or you're just on an army base or you're just on an air force base. And you never really have the interaction until in your later years where you actually kind of see that uh, cross flow 
uh, let's say, efforts between the different branches. But yeah, as a very junior officer, all I knew was being joined and say, well, whether, no matter what uniform that you're wearing, you're able to kind of get out there and, and help the fight. That was, that was pretty impactful because let's say a lot of my projects, you can still see the bullet holes in the building. I remember we were trying to do one project, but it had it was a 10 by 10 concrete slab that we were going to be doing some construction around, but because it had a bullet hole on Ford Island and Ford Island is historic in itself, yeah. you can imagine to say, hey, well, no, that's now a historic concrete slab that we cannot touch until many years down the line. So just kind of dealing with like all the, the history and involvement with Pearl Harbor in itself. It was just amazing. I wanted to ask, you've mentioned the history of that base a couple of times. Does that sort of thing really hit you? Like does the, uh, the history and the connection and the, the mission and all that, did that really affect you while you were in the service? Is that something that you kept that, that was something really deep that connected to you? I would say absolutely. I think a lot of the I think military members, past, present, and future, I think this service in itself of actually just contribute, contributing to something that's bigger than yourself and actually being able to go out there and see the fruits of your labor, uh, no matter how small or how big, but just being a part of a community, I think that was what was so, I guess, like impactful for me. Because, I mean, I'm out there and just knowing that we had this national tragedy happen here at Pearl Harbor. I mean, and then we have the boat that goes out to the Arizona Memorial uh, daily for, for tourists. And that was part of my responsibility to make sure, make uh, certain that all the infrastructure when it comes to roadways, piping, electrical, you name it, was okay for all the other sailors and airmen and just members on that base to make sure that they can perform their missions. Because I would say that installation was pretty pivotal for the Pacific because we have also our Pacific Air Force Command out there. We got our Pacific Navy Command and it's just, projection platform so when yeah. you kind of go through your daily motions say yeah you know what i'm just kind of doing this one single construction project on the airfield today you kind of kind of take a step back and say well when i fix the airfield now we can have more c-130s and c-17s land that are delivering supplies and material to the warfighter around the world globally and if you actually think about this like that's crazy it's absolutely <laughs> crazy how, how everything is just interconnected yeah. And you are able to contri- contribute to the actual global fight. Yeah, I hear you. And I know you have uh, you had one more story you were going to share, but just in passing, do you run into many uh, submariners out there in Pearl Harbor? I uh, actually we had one Navy CB who was a previous Darn submariner. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I actually have not met any submariners. I did do a construction project for one of the submarine crews and their headquarters building, but very little uh, submarines that I can probably interact. But I know probably through a friend of a friend, uh, Dan, we probably know some similar people out there. I was I was going to say, I, I know that the submariners are pretty cool. Uh, you may want to, you may have wanted to hung, hang out with them a little bit. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, one last story before we move along. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say for my, my final assignment before I transitioned out of the military, I was at the Air Force Institute of, Te- of Technology at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And 
I was an instructor of architecture. So we were doing continuing and professional education. So we would have students from all the services come to our little schoolhouse there at Wright Pat, and we would do in-residence classes or we would do online classes. But the one story that I thought was probably uh, the craziest, because I would never have seen myself doing this before I would have joined the service was, we were doing satellite classes. So I was teaching architecture and urban planning to students around the world via a live stream in front of a green screen. And so I had students over in Japan when I'm in Ohio and uh, it was a live interaction. So just like how we are right now. So even yeah. though we are all remote and in quarantine, very similar to that where we have literally instantaneous uh, communication they can type in their questions. I will call on a base, Dakota Air Force Base. What do you think about this? And then they can, <laughs> got, and then they can call in. I would hear them live. All the other students would too. I got to kind of play weatherman in front of the, the green screen yeah. uh, on a weekly or monthly basis, depending on when my classes were. And I thought it was great. Turns out I'm not the, the best at knowing which way to look for the camera, you know. So they definitely do make it look easy uh, when you watch the TV. Did you know what to do with your hands? <laughs> oh, oof, man, my hands are all over the place. And uh, but I can I, I definitely know how to bring the energy because I mean for for me I have two master's degrees. I've taken online classes and through yep. Air Force Academy, so I very well of uh, knowing of uh, as being a student all my life of yeah like, like how to actually make sure people are engaged and are awake because I would be that student where. If you lose me, I, my mind's drifting off to God knows where, and I'm thinking about <laughs> all the other things going on and not paying attention. So just trying to keep everybody engaged and make sure you have uh, that, that the active energy so you're actually kind of fun and entertaining to watch. Well, wow, you're also learning in the background, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, excellent stuff, and uh, you are 100% correct. Those were all three were, were fantastic stories. And so tell us, as we head towards the end here, we definitely want to hear what you're doing with Jones Lang LaSalle now, but tell, tell us about the transition between where you're at in the Air Force and how you heard about JLL, although, you know, you're already in the industry, so maybe that's really it. But tell us about how you heard about JLL and the process of coming on board, and then tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, well, the whole process actually started, I was also pretty active on social media on LinkedIn through my transition months, about six months to a year out, I knew I needed to create a social presence that to start making connections and building my network. So when I was about 100 days out from uh, actually getting out of the Air Force before I went on terminal leave I and mean, where I could actually leave the base and start my civilian life, I, I made a post and I had a family friend who was a, a part of uh, Jones Lang LaSalle. They connected me to my current boss, uh, Mike Perlato, who is in the Chicago office, and we, we got to talking. And so what all my experience as construction and project management, that is what I'm currently doing now in our PDS division in JLL, so Project and Development Services here in our Chicago office. And so the only difference really is, is instead of wearing camo every day, I actually <laughs> have to pick the clothes that I, I wear to work, which is not gonna lie, it's pretty tough because my entire adult life for the last 11 some years, uh, I've been wearing the same boots and uh, right. co co uh, combat camouflage outfit. And now I actually gotta make sure I look nice and kind of color coordinate. So very, very different. But... And specifically, you may not wear camouflage to work at Jones Lang LaSalle, right? 
Oh, yeah. I, I have not worn camo here in a hot minute. It's uh, <laughs> good. And so you said you're in you're in PDS doing projects in the uh, Chicago area. Are you on yeah. in markets? Uh, I am in the, the capital markets uh, within our, our PDS division, yeah, within Chicago. So with that, I'm on the uh, development management team, so our DM team out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably one of the greatest teams to be a part of. And I was so excited to to join is we do the entire breadth, width, and depth of projects. So yeah. come to uh, attendant interior to we have a project over at the old post office that we are repositioning. And then we also just got a current win over at the shed aquarium that we're helping out with on our team. And I have projects down uh, working with uh, buildings that are the overbuilt of the tracks. So, I mean, we, we do anything all the above essentially. And rather than this kind of being pigeonholed, our team is like, Hey, you need a project manager to kind of come out and help call, call us up and we'll be there. Absolutely. Especially at Ralston, that's not out of Chicago. We do projects within anywhere within the, the Midwest. So we have uh, team members working down in Indianapolis, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Illinois, and anywhere that you guys need help that is where we're kind of offering our services. Excellent, Jared. Uh, fantastic stories. Uh, it sounds like you're, uh, you're having fun in what you're doing. So penultimate question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Shoot. Are you, emo- are you emotionally prepared for this? Uh, we'll see, <laughs> but let's try. What is, out of all the stuff you're doing, be it working with JLL, obviously your, your military past and your military service and whatever hobbies and all that kind of stuff that you do now, things like, you know, kickball, that kind of thing. What is the thing that you are most passionate about right now? I'll say most passionate about is just staying involved with the company because I probably was so used to being a part of a pretty large organization with the air force and the military that I've known for my entire adult life and kind of transitioning and kind of losing that, that piece. So now instead of being active duty, I'm now a part of a veteran organization, but with, with JLL, I would say I'm most passionate about the staying involved with all of the crazy things that we have going on, especially within the construction industry yeah. of while able to see this, the fruits of your labor of being involved with your clients on a day-to-day basis and talking with them and actually having a vision become a reality from start to finish. That is, that's what really gets me going out of bed every morning and just uh, contributing to, to all those efforts and actually being a part of the JLL family. has been a true blessing, to, to kind of say the least. Jared Tomaszewski, excellent interview. Final question. Uh, how can people connect with you? Uh, do you have some social you'd like to uh, put out there if folks want to reach out and talk about some of the stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I am very active on LinkedIn. So if you can find me on LinkedIn, that is Jared, J-A-R-E-D, Tomaszewski. I'm sure my name will be spelled uh, in there. But uh, Maybe you should go over it just in case. (laughs) Yeah. So so Dan, I was, uh, before we started, uh, I was saying whenever people see me, I've heard my name spelled and pronounced every which way that uh, it could ever be imagined. But it is uh, Tomaszewski. So it's like Tom who is chef and he skis, Tomaszewski. But not spelled so, like that. <laughs> not spelled like that at all. It's actually spelled like Thomas Zuski. So T-O-M-A-S Zuski. It'll be in the show notes, so it'll be all good. 
<laughs> yeah, but no, uh, you can find me on the JLO Global. So if you can use my JLO email and then, or if you, I have my personal email, you can always uh, contact me at firstname.lastname at Gmail. And between the three of those, um, I think I'm, I'm a millennial, so I'm always on my phone or computer that uh, I have a pretty quick response rate that uh, I'll be happy to engage back with anyone. Exactly. And congratulations if you're the only first name dot last name of you on Gmail. It's going to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, no numbers involved. <laughs> Truly good good interview, Jared. I appreciate you making the time and, and thanks for connecting with the, uh, the team here. And if you want to hang on for a second as I, I hang up, we'll close out after the show's over. So th thanks a ton, Jared. Hey, thank you so much, Dan, for having me. This has been great. You've been listening to Jones Lang LaSalle's The Midwatch Podcast with Dan Ettinger. Look for us on the web and social media, and please share with friends and family. Thanks for your support. Like us wherever you listen to this podcast and stay tuned.